This is Cole. Learn how to tell stories in logic. My God. <laughs> You're so, this is so hard. And this is Ron. Yes. I hate your guts. Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie right there. Oh, desperation is a stinky cologne. We are the creative team. Oh, my God. I quit. Well, it's the big hole. Did you really just book that? <laughs> Michael Jordan and The Undertaker. Uh, in your face. One of them has 30 years, and the other one is just Michael Jordan. Woo! Welcome back to another exciting episode of... Oh! The Creative Team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team. I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team partner, Ronald the Kilborn. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Cole. I decided to start the show accurately and the way it should be, uh, you know, just for you, because, you know, obviously, it doesn't seem like you can call it in the ring, pal. I got you all flustered and giggly last week. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since you've been a worker, Cole, because you really got to step it up in front of that audience. You know, we're live, pal. You know, remember, that's why I had to work baby face because I couldn't keep a straight face as a heel. So I just had to be a smiley baby face character and laugh and joke around and shit. Otherwise, I'd be in the ring like, Duh. Yeah, it's great. Half <laughs> of the show is me trying to catch you off guard and trying to get you to act <laughs> unnatural and just laugh, make yourself laugh your ass off. Yes, that's the problem. Half of the show is you trying to make me laugh and just be silly. But it's great. It's entertaining for both of us. But speaking of genuine and emotions, Ronald, how many years are you celebrated of wedded bliss to Mrs. Kilborn as it is your anniversary this weekend? Oh, yes. I'm so happy you remembered. Yes, it's, it's our six years as a married couple. And, you know, I looked it up and I guess like the marriage gift, the six years thing, uh, I guess six years is something metal. So I was like, yes, this is my <laughs> this is my moment. I'm the gift because who's more metal than your husband? <laughs> Good times. Double metal. Uh, yeah. So metal, in fact, that uh, this is one of the most fucking baller moves I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you guys had picked a wedding song for your first dance, and the music started playing, and the music cut, and Ronald just basically putting all other men in the history of men to shame cuts uh, into on audio. Hey, sorry, we're going to change some plans up. I hope you don't get mad. But I did something a little special, and uh, Ronald recorded the vocal tracks for the song on their first wedding dance, and uh, pretty much just embarrassed all men for the rest of life. So yeah, yeah, I, I was told by a lot of my coworkers that they got dirty looks the entire ride home. Yeah. <laughs> and I gotta say that feels good. I, I I gotta tell you, it's nice to be. It's nice to uh, not personally be desired, but but my but my behavior is uh, yes. desired <laughs> <Yeah>. amongst others. <laughs> Would you uh, consider that a total baby face move? Yes, absolute total baby face move on the wedding, turning baby face on the wife at the last minute. <laughs> oh, that's because that's what marriage is. Marriage is just a series of turning baby face on the wife. You know, there's always like that fork in the road where like, okay, I can just betray her, hit her with a steel chair <laughs> and just cut that scathing promo on her and just, you know, <laughs> most they, most they, successful marriages you have to let the wife be the heel you just have to <laughs> oh yeah good good cop bad cop it's it's the best she's always the bad cop she's very comfortable in being the bad cop oh so speaking of baby face turns uh, today 
we are going to deliver our top 10 babyface turns in wrestling history. Uh, after last week, we did the top 10 heel turns. Uh, this is kind of the sister episode to that, so I'm looking forward to it. This one was a little more, little bit harder for me because most of the time I don't feel like people really turn babyface so much as either the fans kind of naturally turn them and then they have no choice or just their shit heel tag team partner or, you know, the members of their group turn on them. And so by proxy, they're baby faces now. <laughs> so yeah. This was a fun list. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it just, you're right because most of the baby face turns ever is just the guy getting his ass kicked and like, okay, well that's, yeah. that's mean. Uh, poor, yes. <laughs> poor, poor him. So I tried to, I tried to eliminate that as far as like my criteria went i want someone that is a calculated baby face turn with like actions and like a pivotal moment not just because you got your ass kicked something that you did that made the audience turn for you it's uh that was my criteria and there wasn't a lot because really you know when you when the heel turn happens it the the spotlight is all on the person doing the betraying you know, yeah. they're not the victim in any sort of way. So there's a lot more to pick from when it came to the heel turns, as opposed to the baby face. Nine times out of ten, they're either just getting their ass kicked or the audience just kind of turns and wants to cheer the bad guy. And then it just happens naturally. Very seldom is it a calculated pivotal moment that's orchestrated as a face turn. Yeah, so I think I probably have a little bit of a combination of all three things. You know, like actual real baby face turns, they got fed up and turned on their guy. I do have one because it was it was just such a big moment where, you know, the heel turns. But uh, and then I have a couple like, you know, just surprise. Here's a baby face now. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll get into it. Do you want to kick things off or would you like me to kick it off? Soon? I'll kick this one off again because we're going to go lighthearted. But this was at the time. This was very good. Very well done. And the audience bought in and probably never bought again but this was the peak <laughs> of this gentleman's career i believe and i'm talking about the meat sauce king we're going with when virgil turned babyface on the million dollar man he finally had enough it was a crowning moment and then never capitalized on or followed up on but the <laughs> moment in itself was probably one for the record books if you're a coliseum home video fan like i was back in the day like we both were, because my number 10 is Virgil. Yes! Meat oh, Sauce <laughs> King! Meat yes. Sauce King! On a top 10 list, solidified. Beautiful. And of course, as we know, Ron has shared a nice in-ring moment with one Virgil, Vincent, whatever we want to call him. Uh, yes, the Meat Sauce King is more over now, I think, than he ever was during his active wrestling career. Uh, and, but, um, this was one, this is just like my childhood, right? Personified. This is one of the first real baby face turns that we got to witness where it wasn't just like, you know, the, like Sean turned on Marty. They were both baby faces, but this one was, you know, the guy we were rooting for weeks and weeks and months for Virgil to finally just tell this guy to go fuck himself because, <laughs> millionaire ted was being a real douchebag 
And finally, Piper convinced Virgil to turn and kind of became his little manager for a little run there. And they had a nice match. It was a pretty solid match. But yes, that was the highlight of it. That was kind of the the apex of Virgil's career. And after that, he just kind of became, you know, an NWO guy and was just there. <laughs> yeah, and really didn't get over again until that lonely meme picture of him at the autograph signing. Right. Yeah. That, like, he blew up after that. Yeah, it's so funny, and he's bit, he's made an appearance on AEW, and you know he's been around. It's but I think his social media. If you guys are looking for a fun follow, go find Virgil on Twitter and just it's it's some fun. Uh, and it, I mean, he's in on the joke, I do believe, or he's an insane person. Either way, wildly entertaining. So yeah, he definitely turned babyface on Olive Garden. <laughs> Well, my number nine is well within the same time frame, and I believe if I actually experienced this live, this would be higher up on the list. But you gotta go with when Andre the Giant turned back babyface when he finally just had enough of Bobby the Brain Heaton slapping him in the face and talking down to him. When he freaking grabbed a hold of Bobby the Brain Heaton, you can tell that Andre was leaving his team or his... uh, his uh, possession, his yeah, he's leaving the manager. He's he's yes. cutting ties with Bobby the Brain Heenan. The crowd was so happy, and it was a big moment. And what bigger moment than the biggest star attraction in the wrestling industry to this day, Andre the Giant? Big old baby face turn on Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I believe it was at WrestleMania, so that made it uh, an even bigger deal. Um, one of the nicest slap you'll ever see in your life but uh was it nice or was he just scared to death (laughs) i i just think he didn't want to hit bobby because bobby's a great wonderful human um but uh yeah it was a really cool moment i wish that at that point andre still had some time you know it, it left in his body but his body was pretty well shot by that that moment unfortunately and so we got a nice cool baby face turn but i don't know that andre got in the ring much after that so um a really cool moment didn't make my top 10 but i'm glad we're talking about it because it was definitely in consideration so good and so okay this one for me is fun this is the first person that's on both of my lists uh because the heel turn was done so well But the end of the Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano feud came when my sister Candice LeRae intervened in their match and came in there and melted the heart of one just heartless Tommaso Ciampa. And he went to check on Johnny and tried to make amends only for my evil sister to kick him in the dick from behind. And uh, it was awful. But uh, that moment there at the end of this two years of just blood feud where they worked this angle to absolute perfection where you saw the emotion on Tommaso's face when he realized what he had done this whole time only to find out that they were doing the same thing. (laughs) Dastardly. 
dastardly. And I think it was the one and only time that NXT... Well, no, I think NXT uh, attempted to do a couple of cinematic-ish matches. I think yeah. this was, like, one of the good ones during the cinematic match period. Yes. Uh, and I, you know, at first I didn't really know it was a cinematic match until they did the freaking the, the freaking white noise from the top of the rope to the outside. I was yeah. like, okay. Yeah, because no one would live. <laughs> Nobody would have lived if that happened. But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, oh God, I, I wish that would have happened in front of an audience because I think the right. audience, there was one of those moments where the audience would have been had because I was had. I didn't see it coming. I yeah, thought me it, either. Yes, no idea. It was perfect. It was a perfect moment. I'm glad we're talking about it. It didn't quite make my list, uh, but, you know, because I, I, would, I would put that in a heel turn category over. Right. All Tommaso contributed was just his balls. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and then the Garganos did all the work. So uh, for me, that's more of a heel turn moment, but awesome. Now we're going to get into my era of wrestling. Uh, this is back when X-Pac had basically been... The, the DX like imploded. Triple H is with the corporation. The New Age Outlaws are doing their own thing. X-Pac is without you know anybody, really. And Kane's been kind of like, you know, he's still the monster. He hasn't turned at all yet. He's just come out of this freaking feud with The Undertaker. He, he lost Paul Bear. He's on his own. And so uh, Xbox trying to humanize Kane and try to get make him a tag team partner. And then, like, he always gets his ass kicked or chokeslammed by Kane because that's all he that's all he knows. He's like, I just chokeslam and tombstone people. So finally, like, I don't know what happened, but uh, X-Pac was getting the, getting the T-total shit kick, kick out of him by a bunch of guys. And Kane comes to his aid and he's, like, carrying a lifeless X-Pac up the ramp. X-Pac comes to and, like, shakes him off and is all confused. And then they stare for a little bit. And then X-Pac gives him, like, the biggest emotional embrace ever. And the <laughs> audience goes apeshit because Kane is allowing somebody to hug yeah. him as a friend. And it was, like, a baby face turn that he didn't really have to do much on. He just let X-Pac do all the acting and tell the story with his facial expressions. Go out of your way to look up this very classic Attitude Era moment. Kane turns babyface and befriends his little buddy X-Pac. Because this is even pre, you know, voice box Kane, right? Like that, it's before the voice box. This is during voice box we Kane. Heard, oh, okay. This is he right... was doing that as a heel. Oh, yeah. He was, this was oh, right yeah, after. I thought that came like later. Yeah, this was the infamous like, Kane's got two words for you. Shock it. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, yeah, that happened. Well, I'm glad that you reminded me that happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a shame that we didn't get a green and black cane outfit. They always photoshopped that, but uh, it never actually happened. I would have been cute. I could have got behind that. I know, right? Just a, a seven-foot dude just crotch-chopping people. <laughs> dude, we can totally make like an Attitude Era Degeneration X cane character. Mm, that would be something that would be very creative yeah tombstoner <laughs> the stroke slam oh no oh yeah just oh. just hellfire and dick jokes Fi file that under the gobbledy gooker line of uh shake it up creatives right there hey hey golly gooker's <laughs> gonna need an adversary in my story so i just think i just came up with one all right my number eight baby face turn this one was interesting because this was a one-night babyface turn and then return to normal. Uh, but we've talked about this before. It's one of the all-time great episodes of Monday Night Raw where 
whoever the general manager was at the time told Triple H he was going to be defending the world title and he could pick his opponent. He didn't care. So he picks the Ric Flair is going to be Triple H's opponent and trips just at, you know, had a hellacious match on the pay-per-view, got his ass kicked. He's banged up. And so he goes to nature and says, Hey man, uh, I'm hurting, you know, I'm beat up. Uh, you know, they decided I could pick who I want to wrestle tonight, but I had to defend the belt. So, uh, you know, be a good pal and, uh, you're just going to lay down for me. It's going to be great. And flair in that moment fires up and says, Hey buddy, this is a world title opportunity. I'm the 16 time world champion. I'm not laying down for anybody. I'm going to bring my a game tonight. And it's just one of the all time great promos ever. And the Be your best. loses their shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. I get goosebumps just thinking about it, talking about it. It's one of the great Ric Flair promos of all time. And then they went out and just absolutely tore the house down. And of course, this is the end of Ric Flair's run. You know, this is towards the very end, but they absolutely killed it on this night. The main event was incredible. Uh, and for one shining moment, Ric Flair was an all-time great babyface, and uh, it's one of my favorite moments of all time. So. Oh yeah, and especially when you're Triple H and getting to like put on a clinic with your hero, you're gonna you're gonna do everything in your power to make him look amazing too. So yeah, amazing. Uh, it's a it, it was a thread of a raw. Like the whole story was yeah. based on this match, and just you know. Ric Flair toying with the idea of having to lay down and then getting motivated to be the Ric Flair that he once was. And then, you know, yeah. And then headlining a Monday night raw with triple H and almost in convincing fashion, beating him. Like it was, it was a really good, well-told story. And it's the reason why we love professional wrestling, but we're going to stay amongst the same family for my number seven, uh, because this was a fantastic face turn. It was, it was, very well done in the sense that it started with the ass whooping implosion, but then like <clears throat> the major anointment was an act of the guy himself. And I'm talking about when Randy Orton became the youngest world heavyweight champion in the history of the company. And the very next night on raw, the very epic thumbs up, thumbs down moment where they, they drop Randy on his back. They beat him up Triple H says, hey, you know, you, you want to stay in evolution. You got to come out here and surrender the belt. And then this was the big moment where he's coming out. He looks defeated. He's upset. He's going to surrender the belt. He goes to hand Triple H the belt. And then before Triple H can take it out of his hands, Randy Orton holds on to it and just spits in Triple H's face, runs out of the runs out of the ring, runs up the arena, holds the belt up, but the crowd just going ape shit for him. I thought that was an official Really good baby face turn for Randy Orton. And quite frankly, it was a face turn that at the time, no one was really confident in it because, you know, he had nuclear heat. He was just the good-looking, perfect wrestler that would just tell you how perfect he is with his gold fucking shower entrance and, like, his chiseled Greek god abs. Yes, I said golden shower. But, you know, to, to to the company's credit and to Triple H's credit, they made this kid a big baby face. And, you know, I thought this was one of the solid Monday Night Raw moments of all time and uh, really made a good baby face out of Randall Orton that year. Cute. Very cute. So, my number seven took place at WrestleMania 17, the best WrestleMania of all the time. And this one was super fun because uh, this was an unexpected moment. 
the moment when Trish Stratus decided she wasn't going to keep drugging Mrs. McMahon so that she was in a catatonic state. And she pushed her out on her wheelchair. And uh, this was the Vince McMahon match or moment. Well, I can't remember why Vince was in the ring. I believe it was a match. He's facing Shane. <laughs> yeah, this was the match with Shane. That's what I thought, but I wasn't positive. But when it's finally revealed that Linda McMahon is no longer uh, comatose and she stands up, Vince is shocked. Trish follows up with a swift punt to the grapefruits and turns babyface on Mr. McMahon. And uh, it's a wonderful moment. I remember just how hard we marked out to it as children. It was fantastic. I loved it. And, uh, yeah, Trish Stratus turning face on Mr. McMahon. A lot of balls getting kicked in your uh, in your top ten. <laughs> it, really is, it really is a theme of pro wrestling. We just, you know, you just go for the dick. Yeah, just kick him in the dick. You're good to go. So my number six. <laughs> See, my number six is a perfect example about if you're going to turn babyface or a heel, you really, all the only thing that should change is the, is just the opponents you face. I don't think you, I don't think your behavior should overly change. Uh, if they fell in love with you a certain way, they're going to keep loving you a certain way. It's just, you should direct your persona to the other side of the coin. Uh, and this is a perfect example. You got The Rock in the ring with the corporation, and him and Shane McMahon are kind of subtly, you know, passive-aggressively, you know, talking about whose fault the the loss the night before was. And I guess The Rock just had enough and, and said these very words, you are three seconds away, and The Rock means three seconds away from taking his foot and sticking it straight up your candy ass. The Rock. Turning babyface on the corporation. Very good moment. Yeah, The Rock was kind of, you know, it's funny because it was. This is a guy that the fans forced to be a, a heel because they they just couldn't stand him when he debuted. And uh, luckily, the company listened and made it work. Uh, a, another and and then he became so entertaining and so good as a heel. The fans forced him to turn babyface again, like. The Rock's career, he's never, like, chosen to turn. The fans just always turned him. Because even, like, later on when, when you know, the uh, the Rock, you know, finally the Rock has come back to and the catchphrase, 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 when it got stale and he started making movies and people started kind of feeling like he only he was only half in the business, they turned him heel again, and that was probably his best run. Yes. Was, you know, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, very cool moment. But the first time that The Rock became a babyface is a pivotal moment yes. in the history of professional wrestling. So it's not on my list, but it might make the final list. I will stipulate that. So my number six. Now, this one, I don't have a specific moment necessarily because this one was a very organic kind of overtime babyface turn. But I can pinpoint the moment when the fans started to get behind this character, when good old Jim Ross went to the back and sat down and did a series of interviews with mankind, uh, we got behind a little bit behind the mask, uh, figuratively and literally, and built this character who had just seemed like a crazed person who, you know, was the Undertaker's match even, um, and he cut these great series of promos, and 
set the table for him to be a sympathetic character. And even though he ended the promos by putting the mandible claw on good old JR and uh, killing our, you know, the voice of our childhood, um, it it's kicked off this movement of the fans really getting behind mankind. And it led to one of the great babyface runs of all time and and took this guy that nobody ever thought was going to be world championship material to being a top guy. And then he had several title runs after that. So uh, Mankind and his slow build into turning babyface. Yes. And it just goes to show like how present Triple H and how, uh, you know, how well associated with uh, Mick Foley's run in WWE was because the big pivotal moment for this babyface turn started with the Jim Ross promos, but it culminated at King of the Ring where Triple H, in an effort to never have to wear the outfit, beat the crap out of Mankind <laughs> with the crown and the and the scepter and everything. And I guess just from then on then, just proceeded to just beat everyone up with that crown and scepter just to avoid having to come out with it. Because it is ridiculous looking. But yeah, yeah but when, but broke when, it every opportunity he had. Yes, but when Triple H beat the crap out of Mankind after the King of the Ring, after winning it, that's when everyone went behind Mankind. And then, of course, the big attempt to reveal of the dude love character on the top of the cage at SummerSlam that next month was a fantastic moment and didn't make my list, but that whole that whole storyline uh, should definitely end up on the final list for sure. And uh, boy, that's a good that's a good topic to lead into my number five because you can't really pinpoint when this gentleman became the babyface of all babyfaces. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pinpoint a specific time where they went away from the big babyface character for a few months, and but when he came back out, it was I even posted about it. I even clipped the video of it on my Instagram. Go go and watch it. It is one of the loudest and most emoting reactions from, from an audience you'll ever see because they got their character back. It was when Daniel Bryan temporarily joined the Wyatt family for a few months and like donned the fucking the jumpsuit, grew his beard even thicker. He looked like a full he committed to being a member of the Wyatt family. But when but when he finally got fed up with Bray Wyatt and like started to turn on him in that cage, locked him in a cage with Bray Wyatt, and the audience just blew when he beat the crap out of Bray Wyatt. It's the loudest, most in sync yes chant you'll ever hear before he hits that knee on him. So yeah, that's all, that's a solid middle of the list for me. It's one of the biggest babyface turns I've ever seen, and it was during my later times as a wrestling fan. It's it's funny because it's interesting that <clears throat> we all theorize that <clears throat> the reason <laughs> that Brian Danielson got so over finally in WWE is because from the start, like literally from day one, when he was on um, tough, was it tough enough or was it by it was that point f- did they call it NXT? It was NXT, but it was like the, okay. it was like the first iteration, yeah. the game show version of it. Yes. And and from the start, they had Michael Cole just burying the fuck out of this dude. And so from the start, there was just this inkling that the company never was going to believe in this guy. And so it's one part like of me is just like, yeah, fucking Vince. But there's, the, there's this other part of me that's like, 
It's the most brilliant storytelling they've done in the last 20 years. And maybe there's a, just an inch of it that was like planned and thought out. And, and so like, I feel like if this was like just part of their plan of dragging this on because they knew that if they just put the title on Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, that it wouldn't be that big of a deal. They'd really have to keep stacking the deck against him for years to get to the point where they did. So I, I'd like to give a little credit to the company and not just say they were out to get him from the start. They didn't want him to get over and He did in spite of them. But uh, yeah, this the stuff like this, I mean, because we can pinpoint the moment when they absolutely were 100% going with Brian was when Triple H went, got in there and they started cutting the promos full on saying, you're not the guy. But this, I don't know, man, it's just so well done from the start. And that run is one of the all-time great babyface runs in wrestling history. Um, so I'm glad we're here. We may have to put a little... little I'll put a little check mark next to that to be in the final debate. Oh, of course. But it's not on my list. Oh. So. Well, yeah, because the natural babyface turn is when he lost 18 seconds flat to Sheamus. <laughs> but, you know, well, that's, that's not... when the fans turned. Exactly. That was the day it all changed for Brian. But I can't really put that. I can't really put yeah, that on the babyface turn. That's not creative. Yeah, but that wasn't creative. No. That was like, fuck this guy. We're going with this other guy, and it just pissed everyone off. Yeah, but the Wyatt family <laughs> moment was a creative yeah. decision and very yes. well done. Okay, my number five. Now, this one is a flat out, like, probably the number one example I have on here of an actual just flat out baby face turn. Uh, so, 1993, they've got this whole deal going on. Um Yokozuna is basically untouchable at this point. Nobody can beat him. No one can do anything. So going into the following year, it was 94 when we did this, I think, when this took place. So because this was after Hogan and all that shit. So on the 4th of July, we have Yokozuna on the deck of, of uh, one of the great military ships that we have. And they're having a body slam challenge. <laughs> and we've got NFL players and strongmen and all this. Guys just trying to body slam Yokozuna. And we do this for, for a very long time. There's dozens of people that attempt this. And nobody can do it. And finally, at the end of the day, Fuji gets on the mic and starts just railroading everyone. That's right. My guy is unbeatable. No one can do anything. And then from out of nowhere, this helicopter comes flying in, lands on the deck, and Lex Luger, out of nowhere, is donning the red, white, and blue. He gets in the ring, and he body slams the 600-pound behemoth right there in the middle of the ring on the 4th of July. You cannot get more 80s booking than this. It was great, uh, and I remember as a, as a child, this just kicked my fandom off to another level. Because in the 90s, like, it was okay to be patriotic. Still, we were in that, that you know, that era when things were starting to change. But I loved this. It's one of the, just, it's, yeah, it is my wrestling fandom personified right there. Yokozuna getting slammed. Lex Luger turning babyface and kicking off the Lex Express tour to SummerSlam. Yes, and as you'll recall, this is, in Take It Up to Creative Land, this is when Hulk Hogan debuted the bazooka. 
<laughs> yes, go back yes. in the archives. For all you new people out there, because we have a lot of you now, uh, definitely go back in the archives and listen to that. What could have been if we were ahead of creative yes. back then? But yeah, but yeah. Wait, wait, if eight and nine year old Ron. <laughs> oh yeah. And then Hulk Hogan blows up Lex Luger. But he could die. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> Fuck him. Oh gosh, man, I wasn't prepared for that. So my number oh. four. <laughs> oh, number oh. my number four just brings me back to like my ma- my magical time in wrestling. This was back in oh. the illegal cable box time period, where like yes. I had to, like if I couldn't afford a pay per view or my parents didn't want to get that one that month, I I would go to my friends who were getting it illegally and try to watch it then. And oh. uh, this WrestleMania was one of those uh, WrestleManias. I'm sorry to say, people out there, I kind of like, it's assisted in stealing this WrestleMania. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, well. I sat in a living room of someone that stole this WrestleMania. Let's just put it out there. I'm, I'm an yeah, accessory. I, 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 I was on Black Box for most of the early 90s, guys. It's fine. <laughs> yes. And not for wrestling either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the other thing yeah. that you needed a black box for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, other, the other media outlet with holes in the story. god damn it Rob (laughs) so number four for me this was 1998 and boy this was a time period where they were really trying to stack the deck up against Stone Cold Steve Austin McMahon just would not leave it alone He, he didn't want to have Austin win at that WrestleMania. This would be the nail in the coffin in his mind that the beer swilling SOB, the cusser, the guy that is the antithesis the antithesis of everything that he thinks a WWF superstar should be. If he wins, then in his eyes it's all doomed. But before we get there, Shawn Michaels and Degeneration X are trying to stack the deck against him as well. And a heel turn that we did not discuss that probably should have been in the honorable mentions is when Mike Tyson joined Degeneration X. It was a big swerve, bro. Never saw it coming. But I think it was just the stepping point for the biggest babyface turn ever when the biggest sports icon ever, who was on the other side of the coin against Stone Cold Steve Austin, slid in the ring and, let's be honest, fast-counted Shawn Michaels' shoulders (laughs) to the mat. And thus, the Stone Cold era has begun. Mike Tyson puts the Austin 316 shirt over Shawn Michaels after knocking him out. It was a big send-off for Shawn Michaels. If you know the story, if you know, you know. But Iron Mike Tyson it ushering the Stone Cold era with a knockout punch and counting the and counting the shoulders to the mat, giving him the title. I think excellent moment. And it was and it was not even a babyface turn that you could or need to capitalize on. Like he like literally left the company on a babyface turn and yeah. just ushered in one of the biggest eras the company's ever seen. Yeah, this it, I mean <clears throat> a lot of the guys who were in WCW at the time, it's been talked about a lot. I know Kevin Sullivan is attributed with the quote. Um they had WrestleMania on backstage at whatever show they were doing or whatever and they saw Mike Tyson and they went, "Well, we're fucked." <laughs> 
<laughs> and like this really was it. I mean, this is the pivotal moment that pretty much tipped the balance of power back to the WWF's favor and ended up putting WCW out of business uh, off of this. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I love it. I was I'm a huge Mike Tyson fan. I watched Mike Tyson's return fight a couple years ago. Fifty five year old Mike Tyson boxing. I think I will watch anything he does. And so, of course, as a child, when he ended up on the right side of the equation uh, and then also just added bonus being a Bret Hart fan, watching Mike Tyson knock out Shawn Michaels, uh, 14-year-old me was very happy. <laughs> and it looked good, too. Like, usually, oh, yeah. Usually, like, you know, boxers can't work a lick, but, man, that was a good punch. Maybe it was real. That's why. <laughs> just laid his ass out. <laughs> That's why Shawn was so indignant at the press conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just he was stumbling out because he was still feeling the uh, still feeling that punch. Solid moment. Uh, we are agreeing much less than I thought we were going to on this. This is great. So my number four moment is one we agree on: uh, the Randy Orton babyface turn. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, the thumbs down moment when uh, Evolution dumps Orton on the back of his head and beats him up a little bit i forgot about the follow-up where it was you're gonna hand me the title bud <laughs> like it's my belt kid and uh so at uh, yeah because the match where he won the belt is incredible it's one of the best match title matches in just ever and it this, it's just such a pivotal moment because it kicked off 20 years of randy orton being a top guy I mean, he's never really he's never really gotten stale. I mean, yeah, there's been moments when he's just kind of mid card, you know, upper mid card, whatever. But he's never gotten old, and and he's he's been able to be a baby face without giving up on being, you know, the cerebral guy, the the viper, that whole deal. <clears throat> and and it's led to fun things like the the RK bro is you know wildly entertaining. It was great, oh, of course. In an era of just shit television with Vince McMahon, <laughs> um, you know, it was great. RK Bro was entertained, but Randy Orton has been a top guy for 20 years at this point, and it's amazing. And uh, this was really the moment that solidified him as a top guy. So I think it's, you know, going to go down in the annals of history in wrestling as one of the big moments. You know, it's going to be like, you know, we talk about some of the Hogan moments and some of the Sean and Brett moments. All that we're going to be talking about Evolution and Randy Orton thirty years from now. You know, absolutely. And like a, a, an angle so good that they did it twice. And quite honestly, the second time was w w a lot more well pulled off, just because the person that they did it for was just a little more older, a little more wiser, a little more professional than the one that they attempted to do it previously with. But the long story build of Batista's face turn was so well done uh which is my number three by the way uh we're just gonna, we're just gonna get right into it all right we're getting right into it my number three is batista's baby face turn and it's great because it's foreshadowing because just like what triple h did to randy orton with the thumbs up thumbs down batista gave it right back to rick and triple h and the facial expressions are so great batista just won the royal rumble he's he's got his choice to face the smackdown champion or the raw champion Triple H is the Raw champion. He obviously wants no part of Batista, so he he kind of tries to make him think like it's his it's his own idea to go to SmackDown and we'll we'll dominate both shows together, and then like so much so that he actually purchased JBL's limo for the night and pretended to attempt to run 
Batista over on Raw just to try to get him to like know that JBL is trying to gun for him. You should go after him anyway. And then Batista finds that out by listening in on a conversation with Triple H, gives him the thumbs down, puts him through the table, tells him he's going to go to WrestleMania to face him. And from then on then, Batista was the animal. He was made. He was a made man and probably one of the dominant champions of the Ruthless Aggression era because of this angle. So I know we we did a factions bracket once upon a time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And uh, thanks to my sister, Candice LeRae, the NWO did not do very well in that bracket. Right. <laughs> but well, now that we've just talked about back-to-back, the two stars that were created by Evolution, I've, I'm kind of having this moment where I feel like at least Evolution made some people. Yep. You know? Like, I don't think they made any baby faces other than with the turns of these two characters, of course. But, like, the NWO, who did the NWO make? Like, did they make a new star in the NWO? Did they make anybody over that was feuding with the NWO? Like, did they do anything other than just those three guys? It was a big deal. And I, it ele- I don't think it yeah. elevated. It elevated the main three for sure. Yeah, and, and it elevated Sting. I yeah, I could see it because the the it created the Crow Sting, and it and and so Sting as the you know the combatant, the only guy who could maybe stand up to the NWO. But then they shit the bet on that, and Hogan didn't put him over because he didn't have a tan. So, like, But still, though, like, it doesn't it doesn't really matter, like, how the end of it, you know, what the end of it happened. Yeah. I don't think Sting would have reached that, you know, that legendary status without that story. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The, the Crow Sting was a bit of a game changer for him. Because he just, he had to update. He couldn't be Surfer Sting. He couldn't be 80s Sting anymore. Like, that was done. And, and so it worked. So but yeah, I no, could give you Sting, but, like, maybe NWO is a little bit overrated. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> well, what it did for the business can't be understated. Uh, Correct. But, but, yeah, you're right. As far as what a faction is supposed to do, it's supposed to get the other members over to the point of the leaders. Like, the, the the whole reason for growing that faction was to, in hopes of getting people that were mid-card people, elevate them to those three. And it just never happened. It never happened. But, you know, if you want to discuss a, a successful faction, and I think this is where you were going with this, Evolution, by all accounts, is a perfect faction because it elevated everybody involved. It, by all accounts, it reignited Ric Flair's in-ring ability. Oh, for sure. He, he had to, like, he wasn't just the lackey manager. Every time he had a match, it was good. And he had to work up to the other three. And that, we got that out of it. And, you know, uh, of course, Randy and Batista, the, the rest is history. Everybody benefited off of that faction. And it didn't grow. It didn't, you know, when it imploded, every it, it imploded together. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it didn't, it didn't drag ass. And this was during a time period where if Triple H was involved, it dragged ass. Yeah, yeah, no shit. But, you know, and during a time period where Triple H had a lot of haters, this was a perfect angle, storyline, whatever you want to call it. It did its job and it did it perfectly. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, speaking of the NWL, yeah. my number three babyface turn, this is the official, you know, death nail of the nwl this is the point when it should have ended when it was a failure uh it's something that led to a wonderful take it up with created episode where uh we did the nwl 
uh, returns to WWF. We've done, quite frankly, we've done a couple kick-ass NWO storylines that would have been way better than what happened. But <laughs> the moment after WrestleMania 18 where Hulk Hogan returned to the red and yellow and just embraced the love the fans gave them, knowing that this heel thing wasn't going to work because he'd been away for so long, um, is my number three moment. That moment with, you know, the red and yellow is back is still... Uh, just goosebump inspiring. It's wonderful. The you know, eight minute standing ovation. <laughs> like yeah, uh, I, I like to Hogan's like, return to babyface land in the WWF. Absolutely, with real American in tow and everything. What yeah. I loved, I would love to be a fly on the wall to let whomever got cut that night because of the two segments that they had to right. They had to fill because the crowd would not stop and yeah. let him speak. Uh, and I really would love to just. I bet you they were cool about it. Like, uh, yeah, that that's this track. Yeah. This tracks. <laughs> yeah, I understand. <laughs> this makes sense. I'm never going to get that reaction ever. Uh, I'm pretty sure Orlando Jordan uh, was fine uh, missing his uh, segment <laughs> that night. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it's worth a Google if uh, if any of you said who out there. Um, but yeah, Hogan turning babyface, and it was one of those. It, it's one of those ones that didn't make the list for me because this was natural. This was yeah. like, okay, uh, we shouldn't have brought the first biggest character this version of the company has ever had as a heel. The audience will not accept it. They definitely didn't accept it when they put when we put him against the rock. Uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna dive in. Put the red and yellow back on him. Let's do some business. Um, so yeah, I, I think he might just have to end up on the list just because it's one of those things where the audience made it so and it happened and it's Hogan. And Hogan's always got a place on. Always got a place on my list. So my number two would be the next guy after Hogan. Uh, <laughs> by all accounts, what everyone has that opinion, really. Uh, the guy after Hogan, in everyone's opinion, and factually, of course, is Stone Cold Steve Austin. And uh, right at the top of the list from the last the last episode for the heel turns was his adversary the night that this happened, uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. One of the best double turns you'll ever see in the history of ever. Well orchestrated, well pulled off. Uh, I can't wait to, to to talk about why it wasn't number one for me. But number two, solid number two for me. This was the creation of probably the most box office baby face ever as far as just like the time period, the, just merch selling. This was like as mainstream rock star as you can get during this time and I always like I always like to say that wrestling kind of grew up with me like in a way like when I was a child it was the new generation era the right the, the occupational like the cartoon stuff and then right when I hit 12 years old right when shit starts to get a little more you, you know you're an adolescent teen you know yeah, you're kind yeah. of a douchebag that's when the attitude era started and like and that's when everyone started acting like me an immature kid so it felt like, and as I grew older from that, like, you know, it started taming down and getting a little more, like, you know, thoughtful. And, you know, thank you, Cena. Fucker. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> when you had, and then when you had kids, it was a children's program again. <laughs> it was a children's program again. It just, you know, the wheels keep, the wheels keep going round and round. But yeah. It is, that is the perfect analogy for how wrestling just coincides with people our age that are in our late 30s, you know, to early 40s. Like, pro wrestling aged with us that's a great 
explanation of of people for people our age anyway. Exactly. It was like a perfect it was just the perfect time period just how it grew and it just I felt like it just stayed with me as far as like my mentality and just my my loves and my and my likes and just it, wrestling stayed in common with me my whole life it felt like. <laughs> right. But that's why that's my number 2. Uh Austin turning babyface. It wasn't something that I was ready for just because of my age, you know. I just I didn't know what I was feeling. And I just knew I was seeing my hero doing something incorrectly and something that's not honorable to someone that I was feeling, you know, bad about to begin with. I was like, fuck this guy. He's a jerk. He's going after my hero, calling him bad words and bad names and stuff like that. Oh, but wait, he's acting really bad towards him. And he's doing stuff that I was condemning him for. I was having this really weird moment. And I think that's why this is regarded as one of the best turns ever. Because just, you know, as young as I was, it made me think and have that inner conflict on who I should root for. And even I ended up deciding on rooting for the guy I was against at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was so well done. It is also my number two moment, Ooh. which is cool because I have a sneaky suspicion. Maybe we have the same number one as well, Ooh. but um, <clears throat> yeah, the Austin, this is, I mean, really WrestleMania 13 is one of the most pivotal moments in wrestling history. We've, we've, you know, talked about it a lot because we're both big Bret Hart guys as well as Austin. We love Austin and Bret. And it, I mean, this moment where Austin refused to tap out while he's bleeding, which was a choice by Bret the Hitman Hart, ladies and gentlemen, where he forced it. He said, we're doing this because otherwise this match is going to be ridiculous and this finish is going to be silly mm-hmm. and stupid and not make any sense. And uh, so thank you, Bret Hart, for taking taking the bullet on this one and uh, creating this magical moment that created the biggest baby face, uh, arguably in wrestling history. And it's it's such a perfect match as well. Like, I, we cannot say enough good things. Go watch WrestleMania 10, WrestleMania 12, WrestleMania 13. Bret Hart is the fucking man. If you watch those three matches and don't agree, like you're just wrong. <laughs> Here's a fun exercise. I'm gonna I'm gonna derail this episode just just for a little bit because I want yeah. I really want you to think about this. Now we can always talk about main events of WrestleMania. They go on last. WrestleMania matches like you know the main event is right. the match that goes on last, and you know that's that that's a fact. But right. you know very seldom is it the match of the night. Is it, it it's the match of the show. Can you give me and I and there and the Iron Man match is a hot take. It's a hot. It's a highly debated match on whether you like it or not. But you know we know our opinion of it, and and it's the right one. Yeah. Uh, but can anybody out there, other than maybe one match, what was the main event of WrestleMania that was better? What went on last that was better? Go from thirteen to to fucking thirty eight. And you tell me what yeah. match that went on last at Mania, and you can include the double night ones too. Yeah. What was better? Yeah, better than in anything from twelve or thirteen. <laughs> like, from then on, then what yeah. went on last at WrestleMania that was better than the the main event of WrestleMania twelve? There's only one answer that I'll consider, and even then, I still disagree. But when, yeah. when they finally when they finally said, okay, Shawn Michaels' last match probably needs to go on last this year. Uh, when they made when they did the rematch yeah. with Taker and Sean, and they made that match go on last because it was streak it was streak versus career that overshadows the title one time. 
Uh, yeah, but for other, sure. But other than that, it's still the Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, it's probably the greatest last match in WrestleMania history. Absolutely, for sure. and and yeah. the whole even if you skip the whole match, the last three minutes is the whole story. Yeah, and and even that, like the only other one I could think of besides Sean and Taker, because I'll give you that, uh, would be maybe the three way where Danielson wins the title, but that's more so story the story. Yeah. Than the match. I mean, it's a great match. It's, it, but I would say the opening match of that of WrestleMania 30 was better than the main event match itself. Definitely. So, but yeah, it, but plus it had the boyhood dream mm-hmm. come alive. Like, yeah, it, time limit draw, the emotional celebration. Yeah. It, it was yeah. the stars aligned, and it was one of yeah. my. It's it's our favorite WrestleMania match, obviously. Yeah, I'm sure there's people out there that disagree, but they're wrong, so it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's okay, and that's and that's really and that's really you know the theme for any argument that we're involved with. We're we're just right. Yeah, we're wrong. Yeah, yeah. End of story. Brett, Brett, Brett is the right answer. Yes, yes. And All right, my number, number one. one would probably agree with us because he is well documented as the Bret Hart fan of Bret Hart fans as a mainstream wrestler. Uh, so much so that most of his matches in his big return last year were love letters to Bret the Hitman Hart. But this for me was number one, just because you want to talk about, you know, what we discussed with Daniel Bryan about like kind of being roadblocked and being like, you've reached your ceiling. You're not really going to go anywhere from here. This was probably the most real story of them all because his contract was ending. He wasn't planning on renewing. And on a certain raw, they just kind of said, hey, here's a microphone. Go say what you want to say. And... By all accounts, this is probably the most talked about promo to this day. And it made him the uberest babyface ever because this was supposed to be a heel promo. And it just, it be, they literally titled an entire summer, the summer of punk because of this promo. But for me, for someone that just wasn't really going to go anywhere creatively because of the company and yeah. for them to hand CM Punk a, 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 a microphone and just everything he said got him over and was undeniable and, you know, became the longest reigning champion at the time until they blundered that. But at the time, that run wouldn't have happened without them just saying, fuck it, let him speak his mind. And he cut one of the greatest promos in history. You know, mind you, you know, everyone will, like, say, oh, it was a shoot. It was a shoot. It was like, no, it was an orchestrated shoot. Yeah. Like, everything he said was a shoot and, like, was his feelings, but it was agreed upon he didn't yes. hijack the show. It, that's not possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They would tackle him and beat the shit out of him, or just cut to commercial. Yeah, yeah or end they the would. Show. Yeah, they would have cut the mic. Yeah, went to commercial if he just went out there without. And yes, it was definitely agreed upon. It was a work shoot, but yes, yes. But officially, they, they let him tell the truth. <laughs> absolutely, but yes, officially, I'm announcing my number one as the pipe bomb. It is a calculated babyface turn that was really the performer's own decision granted the company let him do it but the way he delivered it like everybody related to him everyone it was like it was it wasn't as pivotal as the austin versus mcmahon run but it was like it was the one time the audience related to somebody having a bad day at fucking work yeah (laughs) yes in quite a while and it was done so well and his his baby face run was just undeniable after that. So much so, the guy is so good that when he turned back heel and did the run with Heyman, 
it just made his heel run more important because he betrayed everyone's confidence after yeah. becoming after becoming the everyman. So yes, Punk being solidified as a tippy top guy amongst the audience's mind with the pipe bomb is my number one. So uh, we could not be more different on our number ones than I was absolutely wrong. Right. But because it's just, it's astonishing to me that this could not make your list. Yeah. Uh, or anyone's list. Probably as well as that it's astonishing that the pipe bomb isn't on my list. Um, but like for me, the pipe bomb is a great, you know, great promo. It elevated punk to new levels of stardom but I didn't feel like it was necessarily a face turn, so to speak. It, it it certainly sent him off on a different level, for sure. So it didn't make the list for me, but I think we're going to put it on the final list because it's such a huge moment. Um, but for me, my number one, and now we're just getting into not necessarily wrestling things, but again, a moment that's just drenched in realism and, and real emotions and real life things. Um, well, I got to give you a little bit of backstory for this babyface turn. So, uh, going back as far as WrestleMania two, Randy Savage has Miss Elizabeth at his side, and he's doing. They're they're tiptoeing around the idea that he's an over. We'll say overbearing questionably abusive uh a partner to her and uh so lots of concerns there and then when savage turned babyface you know around wrestlemania after wrestlemania 3 um and he was there with liz they had a good relationship but then they were married in real life like they were together and then the hogan angle happened they went as far as to file a legal separation to protect the gimmick. And they were not seen together in public. And, uh, you know, Savage goes off with Sister Sherry, well, Queen Sherry, because Savage became the king of the ring. And so at WrestleMania 7, <coughs> Savage loses basically what amounts to a loser leaves town match where not a retirement match, but you're gone for an undetermined amount of time whatever and so after he loses to the warrior sherry is in the ring berating him smacking him in the face just talking down to him and savage won't stand up to her and won't do anything and finally miss elizabeth who's in the front row gets in there grabs sherry by the hair and whips her out of the ring and savage looks up and sees her and finally this his just evil heart just gives up and he hugs her and then they get married and they do the whole great thing leading to you know the Jake angle and all this the Randy Savage baby face turn at Wrestlemania 7 like there's people crying in the front row I mean they've got shots of people just crying probably if I was a little bit older and this happened I would have also cried but I was 7 so <laughs> I didn't cry but uh, like this is one of those where older me that's the moment in the movie where I cry every time and uh, it's a real life thing because they were legitimately married and they and they went through all this and uh, it's just such a real moment of genuine emotion where they're both emotional in the ring the fans are emotional and it's just 
heartwarming and wonderful and lovely. And it's my favorite baby face turn of all time. I love it. And it'll have to it'll have to make the final list. It was it's the tippy top of my honorable mentions. I have a list of honorable mentions and that is number one. I just, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't live through it, so it didn't touch me as as much as it should have. But like I had to talk about the meat sauce king. And quite honestly, <laughs> And, you know, I, I'm pretty sure there's something in the water because you had to talk about the Meat Sauce King, too. Yeah, Meat Sauce King is definitely making the final list today. <laughs> so um, I'd like to just straight up give you the pipe bomb to start right off with. We're going to put that on there. Macho um, Man is definitely making the list. So then for me, uh, I've got – I'd submit the Hogan Red and Yellow. Yes, it's Hogan. And the mankind turn. I will submit the Mike Tyson babyface turn at WrestleMania 14 to make the final list. Hell yeah. So then it's either going to be Batista, Lex Luger, or Trish Stratus, I think. Well, I mean, what was more successful? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, Luger's probably disqualified by yeah the fact that it didn't uh, pan out. I would argue that you could go either way with Trish being becoming a mega star or Batista. I I would dare to say Trish maybe even became a bigger star than mm-hmm. Batista in the world of professional wrestling. Not when you include. I'm going to go with a lifetime of Batista hatred as uh, your motivation <laughs> for that answer because that is so incorrect. Uh, I, I don't think so. <laughs> multi-time main event of WrestleMania and a big-ass movie star in the Marvel community. Just because he didn't, just because he was in the last match. <laughs> Him, we just put over how great of a faction Evolution is. We can't backpedal because a chick didn't want to get fucked by the boss anymore. <laughs> Yes, but it led to one a, a Hall of Fame run and uh, an almost main event at WrestleMania uh, for a women's match of all things. I I, I would argue Trish was a bigger. I, I would argue she sold more merch and did better ratings than Batista ever did for professional wrestling. Mm. Now, as far as Batista's movies, which are kind of delightful, and it's a guilty pleasure of mine because I don't like his work. But uh, as far as wrestling goes, clearly because you're delusional as shit right now. <laughs> just, just he's he's one of those guys that was in the main event. The fans never wanted to see him. Didn't give a shit. But he was there. Oh, that's not true. That's, you didn't want to see him out of the building. You didn't yeah. want to see him. Yeah, that's why. That's why ratings took a tremendous dump during this. Oh, era. so it's Batista's fault now. Is that is that what you're going with now? Oh, okay. Triple H, Batista. <laughs> oh yeah, John Cena's fault. Batista's fault. Whoever, no. whoever the fickle fucking wrestling fan decides at the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you were watching at the time. Fucking. <laughs> I, I was. <laughs> Trish Stratus was a bigger star than Batista. Cole I Dawson. Think so. Put that on a tombstone. In the world of professional wrestling. Yes. Not even. Now, yeah. Now, now that you got to take Marvel into account, Batista is definitely a bigger name in the world of mainstream media. So. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, Evolution might be the greatest faction ever. Fuck Batista. What are you? No, ever... I never said that. <laughs> I definitely said it might be. It, we might be overrating NWO if we rank them higher than Evolution. But... Yeah, Evolution. Evolution actually made stars. Trish yeah. Stratus is hot. 
She she turned a lot of heads when she got better at wrestling over time. But business needle mover, it's still Batista. Mm, I don't know, man. I don't mm, know. I don't uh, think Batista ever sold a pay per view or fucking anything. I like that people watch because it's WWF. I think Trish Stratus actually sold stuff. Did Batista. she sell? Did she sell some magazine? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think she was ever on Playboy. Yeah, I don't know, but definitely sold some swimsuit editions for sure. She may have, but but I mean, I I really I just for me, I would have Trish Stratus as a as a, a bigger draw than. Batista in the context of professional wrestling. Yeah, completely untrue and markish, yeah. markish behavior, if you ask me. I doubt it. I bet we could go down to ratings where Trish Stratus I bet, was. <laughs> I bet we can pull out some sort of sheet and, like, this business, Trish Stratus versus Batista, who drew the most money? It'll be Batista in spades. Yeah. 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 I don't think so. Absolutely. Only because he's going to get credit because he was crammed into a main event spot. Oh. During these things, so now we're so now we're putting asterisks. You're already preparing to be wrong, just like a fickle Mark would. No, no, I'm not preparing to be wrong. <laughs> oh I'm yeah, just, yeah, he's there, bigger, there but he had point. more TV time, and he had no, more. No, no, no. He had more of a push just because he's a fucking star. No, I'll bet. I'll bet if we if we go down to to, to who drew better ratings minute per minute and who sold more merchandise, I I'll bet you, I'll bet you it's a lot lot closer than you think and it's probably leaning towards trish oh that's cute because batista was over in the in the era where the ratings were like 30 percent lower so i know i'm gonna win the ratings debate so <laughs> still higher when he's on tv yeah doubt it i'll, no. I'll bet you if we did the breakdowns his segments lost ratings <laughs> no. no pretty sure <laughs> way more merch way more marketability clearly because uh. now he's a movie star that means the world saw something in him too. Well, but see, I don't know that he's even more marketable than Trish Stratus. Like he's clearly, made clearly something. He is. Of, Trish Stratus did not go into anywhere uh, acting and whatnot. Like she didn't go and do that. But she I tried. Mean, did she though? She did. Yeah. And, and the first taste of failure, she quit and crumbled. Not Batista though. I mean, we would agree that Austin's more marketable than Batista. But where is Austin coming from? We're talking about Trish and Batista. No, 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 I'm I'm talking about how some people don't like acting, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, and right. so he just doesn't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but if he but if he was successful at the successful at it the first time, I bet you he would do it. But he he had a monicum of success. He decided he didn't want to do it. Because it wasn't that successful. Mm, I mean he was in the longest yard and <laughs> he he had some main event movies. Did he? Yeah, I think if uh, if Marvel called him up right now, he'd still turn it down. Because they don't need him. They got Batista. So how about the Ric Flair one night turn? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because clearly we're not. Because clearly we're not. We're not putting those two in. Did you put Did you put Daniel Bryan in? Yeah, Bryan's in for sure. Bryan's in, and then I think the the only thing I have left on my list is Andre and The Rock. So what do you have left? I could get behind The Rock. Many would. Yeah, I could get behind The Rock's babyface turn because it just—it's more, way more significant than any of the others we're debating about at the moment. So yeah, you know, he... yeah, Rock Incorporation. Yeah. All right, this is definitely the most hotly debated top ten finalization we've ever had. It's definitely—it's definitely the funniest opinion I've ever heard. It's right up there with Kurt Angle's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Oh. So do we have an order solidified, sir? Yes, we do. Oh, let that start at the top. Number 10. The Meat Sauce King Virgil turns on Ted DiBiase. Nine. The Rock turns on the corporation. Eight. Mankind turns babyface with the help of Jim Ross. Seven. Mike Tyson turns on DX at WrestleMania 14. Six. The return of the red and yellow Hulk Hogan. Five. Daniel Bryan turns on the Wyatts and launches the Yes Movement. Four. The Pipe Bomb CM Punk promo. Three. Macho Man Randy Savage at WrestleMania 7 returning to Miss Elizabeth. Two. Randy Orton turns face on Evolution. One. Stone Cold Steve Austin refuses to tap out at WrestleMania 13 and becomes the biggest babyface of all the times. Of all the times. And yes, 1996 is when that shirt popped off and it took me 20-ish years to get one. <laughs> oh, what a perfect, what a good top 10. I'm glad we did this one back-to-back -back with the heel episode. But let's talk about what we're doing the next couple weeks, Cole. We're going back to a draft, ladies and gentlemen. And it is November and Survivor Series is the draft theme. And we normally draft up cards. Well, now we're going to be drafting four teams. Yes, teams of five strive to survive. That is the quote for wrestling. <laughs> yes, this is our Survivor Series special where we are going to draft our own Survivor Series teams and then compete against each other, yes. which is cool. It's a cool, I love that we keep coming up with new ideas and new ways to tweak are you know currently brilliant ideas of doing fantasy draft but uh this is cool because this time we are literally going head to head so it you know instead of coming up with our cool match card which one we like better whose team for each of these decades is better i fucking love it it's gonna be great it's almost like playing pokemon cards with wrestlers that is exactly what we're doing oh, and so we yes. might have to work that in next week <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And after that is going to be the Take It Up With Creative of all Take It Up With Creatives. And it will be just in time for everybody to have their delicious Thanksgiving dinner because we are going to be taking it up with creative and righting all the wrongs for the gobbledygooker. That's right. <laughs> How would you make the gobbledygooker a top guy, Cole? How would you make oh. him appointment television? I have an idea. I'm sure you're going to have a few ideas. But we're going to meet in the middle. Maybe just have two storylines. Who knows? But it's gonna I be... don't know about Top Guy, but definitely we're going to get this motherfucker over. <laughs> oh, this guy is going to be a ratings difference maker. Unlike Trish Stratus, it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> you don't even believe that. <laughs> oh, just wait till the end of my storyline where he unveils the turkey outfit and it's Batista. <laughs> And then <laughs> we'll just just wait for my storyline where Hulk Hogan comes out with a bazooka. <laughs> oh, and stuffs the turkey live on TV. Well, if we're stuffing the turkey, then might as well be Trish Stratus. Hi yo! Oh. And then and then we're gonna have a, a cream pie run in on a turkey. If only only if it's on Paul Bear. But when Paul Bear goes off, oh, it, it, no. it kind of sounds like a turkey. It kind of he, he kind of sounds like a turkey getting cream pie. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we just oh. lost the show. <laughs> well, we are desperately out of time. Uh, we went a little long today, ladies and gentlemen. So thanks for staying with us. Uh, so next week, 
fantasy draft is back and uh we hope that you guys are enjoying getting ready into this fall season we just uh turned the clocks back so i don't know where i was going with any of that but i'm just gonna end the fucking show now there you so, go yeah thanks we love you and good night thanks for listening find us on instagram and twitter at creative team pod or just the creative team on facebook follow cole dawson on twitter and instagram at cole 2130 and follow yours truly at ron underscore killborn we'll see you next week on another episode of the creative team